Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, wherever you may be, and welcome to episode number nine of the Still City Insider podcast. Here with me, one part of this duo, Jeremy Ritz, alongside Jim Wexel. Good morning, Jim. How are you doing? I'm good, Jeremy. I'm good. Well, we are here to recap the Pittsburgh Steelers' victory over the Chicago Bears in what was another nail-biter. They won 29 to 27, and there's probably more questions about this team. We know this is a team in development. They're working every week to get better. There were some areas where they took a few steps back, specifically the offensive line. We're going to get into that, but there were also positives and highlights in the form of one Pat Freyermuth, the second round draft pick out of Penn State. We'll talk about Freyermuth's performance this past Monday. And then Ray Ray McLeod uh, fumbles, turns the ball over, which turns into a score for the Bears and gets them back into the contest. So we got a lot to cover today as the Steelers move to five and three. And Jim, let's jump right in with the contest coming up this weekend against the Lions. We know that they're 0-8, uh, but the way that the Steelers have been playing teams, it's been very close. We know this team is a work in progress. And let's start on the defensive side of the ball. Kind of the same pattern uh, that we've seen from early on in this year, following that Buffalo game where the team starts strong, uh, but then fizzles as the game goes on. Justin Fields really um, made that secondary vulnerable. What did you see on defense um, following what was a strong first half uh, that allowed Chicago to get back into this game? Well, so the first half defense doesn't always carry over into the second half, does it? No. I mean, that was the logic used why they should not have faked the field goal. The defense was playing well. Yeah. I mean, okay, we see it again. Um, it was, it was, this was almost like Justin Fields came of age in the second half. This doesn't bother me as much as the Seattle lone lead. Uh, it is 5 a.m., remember. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I read your agenda. I'm not as upset as you seem to be. If you want to, take the reins and start blasting these guys. <laughs> you know, I, I saw a few, few fluke things happen. I saw Justin Fields get some confidence. I saw a defense that was afraid to turn loose its ends. I mean, I know TJ got three sacks. One was a bootleg right into him because he was showing his discipline. He was, he was playing his gap. He was, right. he was doing the game plan. They didn't want to blitz him. Because he's so quick, and uh, they they wanted to play it like he was a lightning quick guy who has a long way to go as a passer, and he would have to beat them passing, and he almost did. Yeah, and he kind of came of age, and some of those receivers, very interesting. Mooney, very interesting, and of course we all know about Allen Robinson, and he seemed to come to life as well. Uh, the Steelers weren't going to play man because they, they weren't going to open up the scrambling lanes for uh, fields. So I, I, I'm just not as upset, even though I lost money again. <laughs> <laughs> I had the under, and uh, it just kind of all blew up in the second half. But that's my own problem. I, yeah, there are problems, and we can talk about the problems, but I'm, I'm not that upset. They did pull out the win. 
Uh, I'm very impressed with Justin Fields. I'm very impressed with the uh, in, the interior of the Chicago defensive line, and we'll do yeah. that too. But you asked me about defense to begin with. Yeah, Arthur Mollette got beat a few times. They found him, but it was also more of a zone problem. So, and and the touchdown that Mollette gave up, I thought he was pretty good coverage. So I don't really see any huge problems other than what's happened to Devin Bush. Yeah. And I know that's on your agenda to talk about a little later, but I, I, I just thought that uh, they were, had a conservative game plan against a young quarterback that they wanted to, uh, if he was going to beat them, he would have to do it passing and, and with his mind and he came of age and almost did. He looks like he, Chicago fans have to be just delighted delirious almost yeah because that franchise doesn't get quarterbacks unless the Steelers give him Sid Luckman or Jim McMahon comes around for a few years of of beautiful quarterback play before he gets all beat up that's the <laughs> only quarter it's the only quarterbacks they've ever had so yeah. they have to be just delirious with Justin Fields and I can't blame him he looks good yeah I mean he uh definitely showed the ability to just flick his wrist and launch the ball 60 yards down the field I guess you know when I look at that defense um, I almost wonder if it's a product of the game plan. You can't you can't prioritize everything of the offensive tack. If you're going to prioritize defending a mobile quarterback, you may give up something in the passing game. Um, if you're going to defend the run, you may give up something in the passing game. If you defend the pass, you're going to give up something in the running game. So I almost wonder if it's something along those lines and then the Bears just figured it out or teams are figuring it out in the second half, does it have something to do with um, maybe they're uncertain as to how to block TJ Watt and they start chipping him or involving the running backs in the pass protection. And it's not that it's egregious. The, the defense not, is not falling off completely. You know, my concern is just is when they start playing the the Los Angeles Chargers or the Ravens twice and the, the Titans, what's going to happen to that defense against those types of offenses. So, you know, that's, I guess that's. I look at a lot of the problem as not a lot of the problem, but it just doesn't seem like the offense keeps the pedal down and uh, it plays at that high adrenaline pitch. I mean, I've called in the past, uh, the readers here at Steel City Insider know that I consider Roethlisberger an adrenaline junkie. And that's why he's so good at coming from behind. That's why he's not so good at adding to a padding a lead. It's just not enough adrenaline there. Yeah. It's just a theory I've had, and Ben probably would refute it, but it just he just doesn't keep the pedal down, or if the offensive play caller doesn't keep the pedal down. So I, I believe that's what lets teams sneak in. And you know, you're gonna see the Chargers are gonna have their weaknesses and the Ravens, you know, their strength is their quarterback. Whom the Steelers passed on, just now. Now all, all Tomo talks about is the beauty of mobile quarterbacks. Yeah, and he sitting there with Terrell Edmonds. I yeah. mean, instead of Lamar Jackson, I'd really like to know more. Was that a was that a, a, a overall franchise decision? Because Mike Tomlin, although he said he wasn't interested in Lamar Jackson on that draft day, he sure his actions said otherwise when he. Continue to inquire about how the Ravens moved up into the first round to get Lamar Jackson. 
it, it seemed to bother him at the time. Yeah. And it should now. So, you know, all those teams have that, uh, that those kind of issues. Uh, the Ravens will have their own issues, but they, they'll have their strength and they'll lean on their strength and the Steelers will have to lean on their strengths. Yeah. Well, speaking of the pedal down, TJ Watt, as you mentioned, three more sacks. He's now only 0.5 sacks behind um, our buddy over there in Cleveland, Miles Garrett. Uh, and then Cam Hay- Hayward finally squeezed one of those balls that got thrown into his chest. And he had one more interception than anybody in the secondary. So kudos to him. Uh, but those two continue to play at an extremely high level. I know last week we talked um, about Hayward as defensive player of the year. And while that may be a stretch, but TJ has got to be putting himself into that conversation even more so than in previous years. Yeah. Plus he, he's got a few years of being ripped off too. You know, these things be, tend to become career awards too. So uh, a, a nice career award on top of a, a deserved season. It, it he's he has to be the front runner, the clear front runner. And I know people want to give it to Cam Hayward, but my, I mean, you got to put up some numbers. I, we all love Cam as the heart and soul, and I, I would hate to take the heart and soul moniker away from TJ because he's got a lot of heart and soul himself. Uh, and uh, you know, Minka does a lot of good things too. I uh, I know. I know he misses tackles because he doesn't rap all the time, but man, he brings it when he, when he connects, he doesn't need to rap a lot of times. He really does bring it as a free safety and the picks are going to start coming for him. He's just too talented of a ball hawk. So um, I, I would put Mink in that category and, you know, Devin should be in that category and I'm very disappointed. And uh, I don't want to say, I hope it has to do with his knee, but I wonder, and I would like to get a better explanation, but that's, you know, we can't even get anything, anything about to it. So I don't think we're going to get anything about Bush. Yeah. And speaking of Devin Bush, um, two tackles, he did have that one defended pass that uh, was at a critical time in, in the game. But I felt like he was outplayed by Joe Schobert. And there were times where it looked like Robert Spillane was on the field in place of Bush. And I'd agree with you, the the explosiveness that we saw from him his first few seasons where he was disruptive and just sideline the sideline, it's it's absent. And, you know, to your point, I don't know if that is a result of him recovering from the knee, but he's needed. If this defense is going to be, I don't know if they could be elite this year, but but to be as good as they have been, he's needed in that run defense. I mean, we just watched Roquan Smith. I believe he was an 11th pick of the draft. You know, that's the kind of disruptive presence you expected out of Devin Bush, except with maybe more sideline to sideline quickness. That is his forte. You know, uh, Schobert was a bigger bully at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And yeah, Schobert did outplay him, but I, I, I must add that Schobert is taken out for Spillane as well. Both linebackers, both alleged cover back coverage linebackers. I mean, in Schobert's case, we know it's not alleged. He is a coverage backer. Mm-hmm. But they take they take both of them out in the dime. They put Spillane in and uh, with six defensive backs. And so I've been trying to figure it out. I I think Tomlin answered it best. You know, I've been trying to figure it out. Do they want Spillane in there just in case they run on third and ten? Um. And, and, and Butler talked about uh, how he's better with um, 
uh, stunts, and he's better at, at getting to the pass rusher. And then Tomlin said, hey, we want to find a niche for everybody. And I love that. I love when coaches do that. But, you know, uh, I thought the third and eight, and that really, uh, you know, I, I get this second and 20, you want to bring that dime in. I, I assume they had different dime packages and that Spillane was in the deeper, deeper pass area like third and 15 third and 10 third and 12 but he was on third and eight and it was uh when the score was 14-3 I believe it was the Bears first possession of the second half and they had him backed up and it was third and eight and that's when I noticed Spillane in there on a third and eight and you know isn't Devin Bush born for third and eights isn't Joe Schobert born for third and eights I yeah. don't our big question when they acquired Schobert was, are you going to leave your nickel in on third and eight, meaning two inside linebackers and five DBs? And uh, so on this third and eight, there was no pressure because they wanted to stay in their lanes. They didn't want to get beat by the scrambler. They played zone because they didn't want to get beat by the scrambler, uh, by the DBs turning their backs. So uh, he had a scramble pass for, uh, I believe it was to Robinson for 17 yards. Then the next play was the 50-yarder that Terrell Edmonds got beat. And uh, he knocked the ball loose. You know, a couple of years ago, that would have been an incompletion. And then boom, boom, all the way down the field, they had a touchdown called back, which was – they kept blaming that on T.J. Watt, the bad call on the low block outside the tight end box. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and look at that, they, they drew that they, – they go, look – Here's the tight end box, and they made a drawing yeah. outside. And that was like three yards outside the tight end, and he was, uh, I believe, a second tight end in a jumbo package way out there. And TJ was on the edge of something that was drawn past the tight end box. So they kept looking at their own drawing and saying, see, <laughs> he, he, this is the tight end box. I, I, they got TJ outside. That block was outside. And so – it was it was a borderline call maybe, but according to the rules, they got that call right. Yeah, and so uh, uh, that should have that touchdown should have been called back, and then they they had to settle for a field goal. So, but that was a fourteen three. The way they were backed up on third and eight at their own goal line, I thought that was a key turning point. And the fact that Bush wasn't in there made me a little bonkers. You know, I. I I would like to hear a better explanation. Uh, maybe it is his knee and I can have a little more sympathy, but right now I'm looking at a busted draft pick. Yeah. Major bust. Yeah. He definitely needs to elevate his game here moving forward. Somebody else who um, on that defense that I, maybe I'm my expectations were a bit higher uh, for him following training camp at Alex Highsmith. He's been strong against the the run. Um, but so far, eight games into the season, only one and a half sacks. Um, is he just going to need more time to uh, adapt to the game, being that it's his, only his second year? Um, I know he missed some time with that groin. Where, where do you see him fitting into this defense and uh, his development over the season? Well, at the beginning of the year, I called him Clark Hagans. Even last year, I called him Clark Hagans. And you can win a Super Bowl with Clark Hagans opposite Joey Porter. And that's kind of the situation we have here, just that Highsmith's on the blind side and you kind of expect more pass rushing statistics out of your blind side. But I like his development. I think he's gotten a lot stronger over last year, plays the run a lot better. 
I, I just remember him forcing the issue last night, uh, getting around Jason Peters and just barely uh, almost getting to um, Fields. You know, that sack that uh, the the naked bootleg right into TJ, that was, you know, Highsmith was coming from the other side too. So, uh, and they had, you know, they, they said, why would Justin Fields naked into TJ? Well, if he would have naked into uh, Highsmith, he would have got the same, met the same fate. Yeah. So uh, there is some pressure. You want more, of course. And now that Ingram's gone and we see why they wanted Highsmith more, you now you expect more out of Highsmith. He forced the departure of a professional pass rusher. So we want to see more. But he, I think his potential is better than Clark Hagen's, but he is – Clark Hagen's was good. Mm-hmm. Highsmith is good, and you can win a title with those kind of guys. You don't need – Bud Dupree on the other side, and Bud's not doing well in Tennessee, by the way. Yeah. Speaking of AC, uh, recovering from ACLs. So I, I would just like somebody more informed to maybe uh, soothe me through this medical uh, crisis that maybe Devin is coming through. But uh, say uh, Highsmith, I didn't have that those kind of high expectations for Highsmith that maybe you did. So. Mm-hmm. Well, this weekend, the Lions, I know Jared Goff has been sacked 22 times, so maybe that's uh... – I don't want to say the cure for what ails this pass rush because it still has been effective, but would like to see some of these other guys get get involved, um, specifically Highsmith. And then just wrapping up on the the defense, run defense gave up 136 rushing yards, 5.2 yards per carry. Um, still a bit leaky. Is that just a product of the way they were trying to shut down fields and not let him um, scramble and open things up down the field? Well, uh, I know we're going to get to the Bears' interior, but let I me mean, look at the massive men that they have. The Steelers don't have that. Even their their great nose tackle, Tyson Alu-Alu, is not a massive man. Mm-hmm. They're built more for the modern era of all the passing. So you get a team like this that wants to come at you, attack the middle, like Seattle did and Cleveland, they're playing all these teams. And with their light inside linebackers, even when they are on the field, uh, there's just, I mean, even Rokon Smith, I don't know that he's much taller than Devin, but he's sure thicker and he brings it. And I do, you know, one of the guys that Bears got caught trying to get off the field was Rokon Smith. There was a 12 men on the field before Ben started trying to point it out. There was another 12 men on the field and they said they were trying to get Rokon off the field. I was a little surprised. So he he comes off the field too. And so he's more of an explosive run defender and blitzer than pass coverage guy. So the Steelers are built more for pass coverage. So you're going to have games like this. It's just, you know, Cam Hayward can't do it all. Cam Hayward's your, your, your biggest guy up front. I mean, stand him next to Akeem Hicks or Eddie Goldman. He's, He's half of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's why the Steelers were hitting them with the outside run uh, more yeah. than the inside. Just wish we could get to it back. Um, I know we're, yes. we're we're not getting information there, but hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Uh, shifting gears a bit, Jim, over to the offensive side of the football. There was a nice moment uh, before the game started where Pat uh, Fryermuth and <laughs> Miller were talking and yucking it up there uh, before the game started. And then Fryermuth went on to have a, a pretty solid game catching two touchdowns. He had five receptions for 43 yards. How do you see his development playing out this season? And what's the next step in how the offense utilizes him? Is it more in the deep passing game 
um, because he is evolving into that reliable target for Roethlisberger. He could do all of it. I, I, and he's Heath Miller. You know, I tried to say this early in the training camp, and I tried to be restrained because that's that's a mouthful, but, I mean, that's who he is. It, it, it actually is the blocking. I can, you could tell right away that Fryermuth was a playmaker, but it's the blocking. It was the want to. And it was also, I remember how disappointed I was in Heath Miller as a blocker his rookie year, even, even the first the first two years. And then I re, so when Fryermuth disappointed me as a blocker as well, because I, I saw film of, of him at Penn State, I thought he was going to be a better blocker coming up. And then I watched him in camp. I'm like, this is Heath Miller. This, but he has the want to that Heath had. And Heath became a great blocker. And I think Fryermuth has that one too, and it's going to be the same thing. And then you see the playmaking, and uh, I, I just I, I couldn't help but make that comparison. And now I can't. When I watch them run behind Gentry on an unbalanced line, and then Gentry's like six twelve, and he's <laughs> he stood up that end and blocked his tail off. I couldn't help but think of Matt Spath. Yeah, so that's what these two are. Ebron's just a third guy who's going to keep the safeties honest when he come in at 13 personnel, he, he'll be the wide receiver threat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, who, who really needs that guy? Yeah. So um, I, I like these two tight ends and, and Friar Muth, uh, you know, he, everybody loves he. Yeah. And uh, I remember I, I, in, I, in my book on Polamalu, I wrote that uh, Polamalu kept objecting to me calling him the most humble guy in the locker room. He said, Heath is, Heath is, he's naturally humble. And I went around and I asked, I asked a lot of the guys for the book to comment on Polamalu saying that Heath was more humble than Troy. And they all agreed that Heath was more humble. <laughs> they all agreed except Heath. And that's <laughs> just so natural of him. And, and here's Heath. I couldn't, uh, and I probably told this story before, but I tried to get him for the book and somebody told me he won't call you back. He doesn't call any of us back. And he called me right back right away, but he kept fading in and out. And he lives in, uh, you know, in the, the hills in, in Virginia, uh, Western Virginia, under West Virginia, south of West Virginia, near Kentucky. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of cell phone issues there. And he kept fading in and out of, of his house. And he said, can I call you back tomorrow? I think we'll have better and I'll sit in the perfect corner of this house to get the clock. <laughs> An hour later, my phone rings. He had gotten in his car to drive to the top of a, a mountain and now called from the side of the road and gave me an hour. And wow. That's just Keith. So when you saw those pictures, especially the one that Matt Freed took of Keith smiling with Omar Khan, I saw the staged photos with Friarmouth, and they were just, you know, staged photos. They were great. They're, okay. But uh, the picture of of Heath Miller talking to Omar Khan, you see the back of Omar's head, and Heath had this warm smile that's just so Heath, so warm. It just made you feel warm to see that photo, his big smile, and that's Heath. And I always, everybody loved Heath so much, and he used to take a battering. I mean, the Ravens just used to batter him over the middle of the field, and that's what comes of tight ends. 
And uh, that's what that's what I worry about Fryermuth in the long run is when he has to start taking when when teams start game planning for him and start battering him, concussing him, hitting his knees, blowing up his ACL. That's that's you always worry about a tough tight end like that and the the duration of their career. And so that's all I worry about Fryermuth. Otherwise, his ceiling is. Is Heath Miller? We're watching it. It is Heath. He is Heath. Yeah, and that's exciting just to think of how that's going to impact the offense overall, in terms of opening things up. So, um, and just to, his sure handedness. It just seems like he catches anything that's in his his vicinity. So um, very like exciting. Heath. I remember when Heath would drop a ball and everybody would stop at practice. Like, what did we all just we all just <laughs> witnessed history? You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, switching over to Ben here, um, he was steady, looked like he may have been bothered a little bit by the shoulder injury. Didn't look like he had his natural zip on the, on the ball, but the offensive line, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the O-line in terms of pass protection. It wasn't great. I think he was sacked three times. And then even in the running game, Kendrick Green was in the backfield, um, not in a good way, uh, pushed in the backfield (laughs) before the, the, the play could even develop. Dan Moore, um, junior over there on the left side, <clears throat> looked like a turnstile, probably played his worst game of the year. Uh, penalties on Dotson and also Trey Turner. Seemed to take a, a step back, but that's to be expected with such a young group. Is it time maybe experiment with putting Banner in there at right tackle and kicking a core four over to left tackle and just at least seeing what you have in Banner? Boy, that's, you're making two changes. That's, what they, that's what, why they hesitate. And they're winning. And more really, this time is so valuable to him. You know, I thought his game against Miles Garrett was worse. I know he did, did some good run blocking. And I don't know, he gave up one sack and Miles Garrett's leading the league. But Miles Garrett had him anytime he wanted him. But Ben was more aware. So, I, you know, I've come to expect Dan Moore to struggle with pass blocking. Um, so, I don't, you know, you never know when he's going to make that jump because he has the tools and it's a matter of time and Kendrick green, the same way. Uh, But when Trey Turner is the guy who gets tossed, you know, Akeem Hicks, the one player, I I don't know why Akeem had a a rest. I don't know if Ben had called timeout, but he comes out of it and he got, they got the 15 yard penalty. I forget. Was it the? It was the first play of the second half. That's what it was. It was the very first play of the second half. Akeem Nix just shoved Trey Turner right back into Ben and 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 hit Ben with Trey Turner. Ben gets knocked into the left tackle, whose head comes around and hits because he's getting beat over there. His head hits Ben's knee, and they call a flag. I don't know why. It was fifteen yard roughing. It was never explained. Only because Ben couldn't get up after after his head hit Dan Moore's knee. So th- I think that was the first worst call of many bad calls in that game. I, I, I do think like the TJ Watt call, I don't think the officials, I don't think the officials were as bad as the announcers wanted to say. And so when the announcers say something, the rest of America just lives with it and runs with it and, and overhypes it. I don't think these guys were all that bad, but there were really some bad calls that went against the Bears, and that roughing the passer call was one of them. And so that was an example of Akeem Hicks just rampaging 
And Craig Wolfley told us before the game to watch out for Akeem Hicks. He might be the best DT in the league. And Eddie Goldman was playing well too. So I, I, you know, I don't want to condemn these guys uh, because they're dealing with a different kind of NFL veteran every week. And it's going to all, it's all adding to their games. And Kendrick Green, you think when he, when he's lifting in the off season, Think he's going to think of Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman? Probably. He's oh, got to sure. get stronger, and he's a strong guy to begin with. But he's such a he 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 wants it so badly. You can see it, and that's why I I, I won't give up on Kendrick Green, and uh, I really don't want to give up on Dan Moore. But if you have to, you have to. But I I think we're going to see some Zach Banner. I've been waiting for the jumbo package to be the third tight end. And that's how I think they're going to ease him in and get a better look at him. I don't know if they want to make those two big moves because I don't think Banner can play left tackle or that they will play Banner at left tackle. I do know some in the organization thought at the beginning of the year that Banner could play left tackle, but that, that chip has sailed. That Forget about that. But if you could make one move, yeah. But if you're going to have to put him at a core four spot, move a core four over to left tackle, boy, coaches really hate to do that. Yeah, and I just wonder, you know, if at some point they have to see, number one, is he healthy? Is he going to be able to, you know, be back on the field for a given yeah. period of time? And the other Apparently piece. Apparently knees take two years to, 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 to heal anymore. I, from what I'm seeing out of their life. All right, Jim. So uh, bringing it home here on the offense, um, Najee Harris was steady, not stellar, uh, but really not a, a lot of room to run. And I think. One of the things we're seeing just from the receiving core in the passing game, they de- desperately miss having some type of a deep threat to stretch the field. But it did seem like, at least from my perspective, and some may disagree with this, but I felt like I'm continuing to see Canada's offense evolve to where you can see the system, you can see the concepts, you can see the plays building off of each other. I think some of those uh, perimeter runs by the wide receivers um, on those motions were critical. Um, to keeping the running game going and to extending some of these drives. So I was encouraged by that. Um, but still, I think it this offense goes as the offensive line goes. And I think that was really what stood in between the Steelers having a great offensive, offensive performance versus what was probably a poor offensive performance on Sunday or Monday. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm really uh, appreciating Canada as well. Um, and I like what he did with all the jet sweeps and all some of the throws to the receivers, some of the shovel passes that were, were attacking the perimeter. Uh, the wide receivers rushing six carries at 6.2 per carry. So when you have a team like the Bears with 350 pounders up front, run them wide. Akeem Hicks was on the sideline. I don't know if he had an ankle or if he was just gassed. You know, those guys get get tired. They can't they can't do what the Steelers defense can do, you know, with the sideline to sideline quickness. Uh, so you couldn't run up the middle, although I tell you, Najee Harris, you saw some of the piles move. I mean, he's he's repeatedly showing us the piles are moving. But the one pile was moving was Akeem Hicks, was a pile unto himself. He was on uh, uh he got a hold of Najee and Najee carried him for two yards. That was the most impressive run. It was only like a two-yard gain. Yeah. He was trapped in the backfield, but he carried Akeem Hicks, and others were piling on. 
for a couple yards. That that kid is strong. Yeah. And funny. <laughs> and so I wouldn't say uh, Naji was, I mean, he only gained what, with 2.8 a carry? Yeah. The rest of, all of the interior stuff, all the running backs inside gained 2.6 per carry, 26 carries. And the wide receivers hit, hit in the perimeter and the jet sweeps was six carries for 37 yards, 6.2. So that was effective. So that that's on Canada. You know, he saw those big defensive tackles knew the grinding was going to be difficult, still did it, went unbalanced on that first drive, and, and they ran to the weak side of the unbalanced line, and, and Spaeth was blocking his tail off. I, you know, I don't want to say blocking his ass off, but he was. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm so impressed with Gentry. Uh, I, I, I saw how much size he added in the offseason. I made a big deal out of it. But th- transferring it to becoming this good of a blocker is impressive. And uh, – you know, Najee, what was that, a 10, 12-yard run for the touchdown through the, through the uh, weak side of the unbalanced line? Uh, I, a lot of good Canada stuff. Yeah. And um, it just – I don't know that they're missing a deep threat. Without Claypool, they definitely are. When Claypool's playing and he's got a toe that underwent an MRI, and we'll find out more probably next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Pablo says, I'll keep you all abreast of that. And they're all yeah, like, wow. sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know how the results turned out on the MRI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden he's on IR and we don't hear about him until next spring. We're asking questions on draft day or something. Please, no, we can't afford that. That's for sure. Um, and then just kind of bringing this to a close, Jim, <clears throat> before we kind of wrap up the show, special teams. Cam Hayward said Chris Boswell is like a serial killer in those uh, fourth quarter moments. Um, just seems unshakable, um, you know, nailing such critical uh, field goals. And then he had a, a fumble recovery of all things. But then on the flip side, uh, Presley Harvin still a bit inconsistent. And then special teams, you, you, you got to mention Ray Ray McLeod and the fumble, which is returned for a touchdown, which really gets the Bears back into the contest. But at least we have Boswell on special teams right now as the the shining star. Yeah, and he is his personality is that of an assassin. You know, I, I was always amazed at how nothing bothered him. You know, we would talk about consecutive field goals in a row, and a lot of kickers hate that because you're going to jinx them. He not, nothing. He he's not superstitious. None of that. He's ice cold. And his personality reflects that. He really isn't a very nice guy, at least me. And that's fine. I mean, he reminds me of the other Rice guy they had. Vance McDonald just didn't care too much for you. And um, I just wonder what's going on down at Rice. I don't want too many other Rice guys. (laughs) But this kind of cold-blooded killer attitude is good in a kicker. Yes. Not good in society, but it's good on the football field. <laughs> what, a, what a game he had. Uh, except the missed extra point really yeah. kind of bit them. And yeah. uh, the 54-yard field goal was called by one analytics newsletter that I get. The second worst decision of the week. Go, kicking a 54-yard, might have been the 52-yard, whichever one made it 26-20. Okay. The analytics guys don't. They hate six-point leads. 
three-point lead and going for it seems better than attempting a long field goal for a six-point lead, which the Bears overcame. Apparently, it throws a mindset into the other team that they have to get a touchdown and they go for all the fourth downs instead of just uh, missing or converting the the fourth and four, Mm -hmm. getting a first down and running the clock out, winning by three. they they think it's it's a poor call to go for that six point fifty yard field goal on fourth and short, and then the Bears did come down and scored a touchdown. And I I should look and see if they went for any fourth downs that they would have kicked the field goal to tie. And uh, so, um, you know, Boswell makes that extra point. You're not have having to put your coach on the spot like that, and um, you know. So, uh, and the other special teams, Harvin, you know, when a, when a Ray goes, Ray guy, I was going to call him Ray Groza because <laughs> I think there's a Lou Groza award out there. The Ray guy for, for field goal kickers, but, uh, the Ray guy award winner going in the seventh round and that kind of size, I, I was wondering what's wrong with this guy. And so we're seeing the inconsistency. Mm-hmm. We're seeing why he was a seventh round pick, but also, there was a lot of pressure on him and Tomo talked a lot about uh, getting that punt returner off his spot and not giving him both options to go, you know, catch one down the middle of the field, go right or left. That, that punt returner was exciting. Yeah. You know, Tomo can really spot these guys when they're playing for the other team. How about getting one on your team? You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. not named Ray Ray McLeod. Well, you you keep pointing out that, that Ray Ray's got a guy in a practice squad. Even Sims. Who's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. But, he, you know, yeah. I think that 12-yard catch by Ray Ray and the announcers raving about his shiftiness in the slot, they don't have that kind of shiftiness in the slot receiving core. It's Chase Claypool, you know, yeah. a little DJ and Washington, little guys that can do it but don't give you what Ray Ray can, and that. He was open on that 12-yard catch, and that was a pretty important play. It got them rolling on the winning field goal drive. Right. So maybe that's what convinced Tom on to keep him one more time. I'll give you one more fumble, now. <laughs> yeah, one one more one more week on uh, the the McLeod, and then uh, you know if he if he has a poor outing this weekend against the Lions, maybe it's time for Steven Sims to come up. But speaking of that, you know this weekend. The Lions at 0-8, the Steelers have an opportunity to move to 6-3 and before they get into the difficult part of their schedule. They have eight games remaining. If they could just split that, you know, they could be at 10 wins, and that should be good enough for the postseason. Um, you know, things are going to get difficult, but I think the Steelers have shown they're a feisty, gritty, ugly team, um, but they're going to keep themselves in a game. And it seems like they get up for those big contests. So exciting to see what's what's coming here. But, Jim, it's time for the terrible three. Are you ready? First of all, I must remind you to, to, to go at this one game at a time before you lose to the 0-8 Lions. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> all right, here, terrible three. We're going to start Cassius March. Did he know what he was do, doing there, uh, or was he innocent? I don't think the refs knew what he was doing. I don't think the announcers knew until later when some production guy said, Hey, he was with the Steelers. That's why he's glaring at the sideline. You know, when we look back and, and as they were picking up uh, the skinny guy from Denver, uh, his name constantly escapes me, the pass rusher 48. And then they've added um, 
Taco. That Cassius Mars probably deserved to make this team. And when he got that sack, I don't know that he said anything. I still haven't seen him uh, mouth anything. He was just glaring. It's a horrible call. Horrible call. And I don't even want to hear about the rule. He was just glaring over there. And the official, if you realize that uh, the, the past history, the recent history, Cassius Marsh deserved to make this team. He put in a, an excellent training camp. He's a skinny guy and, and he's been a journeyman. So he's the butt of jokes among media. But you look back, he deserved to make this team. And then he gets a sack against the team that cut him. Give him, just give him a glare from the hash. It's all he was doing. Just stupid, just stupid call. And I don't know that it, I know that it led to a field goal, but again, things don't play out like that. You can't say that that gave them the game because they got a field goal and they won by two in the end. You know, that six point lead probably cursed them worse than a three point lead anyway. So uh, I don't know that it cost them the game, but it was a horrible call. And I, let's give Cassius Marsh some props that we didn't give him during the preseason when he was salting away a job that he deserved to win. Good old Cassius. <laughs> Shifting over here, Pat Freyermuth. Uh, we keep talking about him. I'll continue to reference this past summer when you pointed out uh, very clearly that he's going to be the guy that people are going to say, oh, where did he come from? <laughs> um, so you heard it first from Jim Wexel. He he had him identified as a superstar Will Pat Freyermuth exceed Heath Miller's rookie stat line of 39 receptions, 459 yards, and six touchdowns? Yeah, it's looking that way. Uh, they passed a little more than they did in 2005. Um, and now he's going to creep up on that touchdowns because Heath had six TDs in his first seven games. And now we are after eight games. And Heath did not score again until the playoffs. So he's going to looks like he's going to catch that touchdown. And, and yeah, he's already passed the uh, other numbers. So – uh, I, I, I will add this, and the announcers keep adding this, that B.A. was actually first. Bruce Arians was actually first with the Heath Miller comparison. So it, it wasn't me. I was still writing about why the Penn State people were calling him Baby Gronk. It was because of his demeanor. You, you could see he's a little, a, a lot more of an extrovert than Heath Miller. Oh, yeah. Heath Miller liked to hand the ball to the official. And one time he did spike it and it fired the whole team up. It was against the Ravens. Might have been his pylon reach, if you remember that great play. I think he spiked it there and it shocked everybody. Uh, you know, Friar Muth is a spiker. He, he, he likes to cavort in front of the fans. He's more extroverted. So uh, they're different in that regard. And he's more like Gronkowski in that regard. But, you know, I remember in 2005 and going through the Polamalu book, all the research, I came upon this again. Bruce Arians was the wide receivers coach in 2005 and he came into the room. I believe it was Freddie Gibson was a fourth round pick. And so uh, uh, he uh, came into the room and we all asked him about Freddie Gibson. And he said, yeah, Freddie Gibson's okay. But that guy they got in the first round, Heath Miller, that's the kind of guy I want in my room. So he was raving about Heath Miller when he was the wide receivers coach. And then to uh, call Ben, the story is now being out uh, repeated out there that he called Ben right away. You're going to love Friar Muth. He's just like he. And so that started that to be a was the first. Yeah. Well, you're the first in my book, Jim. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. And we're going to wrap it up here. This is the last question to close it out. Mike Tomlin got his 150th win uh, on Monday. 
and he avoided the Tomlin special that we often hear that he he's good for, which is losing to a team that they have no business losing to. So just in terms of Tomlin's legacy, I mean, he he passed Cowher's victory total. Can Tomlin get another Lombardi here? And do you think he'll finish out his career in Pittsburgh? Well, I uh, so just a guess. I mean, he can get a Lombardi. He's got to get a quarterback. So I, I don't know where else to go with that. He knows how to build a team otherwise. He has his ideas about defense, and I'm fine with him. I, I like the speed on this defense. Uh, you know, he's missed on some guys, but that's, that's that's part of coaching. And and losing to teams you're not supposed to lose to is part of the NFL. Everybody is bringing this reputation on Tomlin like he's the only coach that take doesn't cover the seven point spread and wins by two, you know, um, I have no problem with him. And his message is not getting stale to me. I, I thought Cowher's message got stale at the end of his career. I was writing him off and then he won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to judge these guys too harshly until they get a quarterback. And right. as we can see, as you pointed out, Ben's shoulder uh, seems to give, be giving him that Peyton Manning look of the final year of Peyton yeah. Manning's career. Uh, but, you know, Ben's still effective, still winning. And the spike on second and two, it stuff drives me crazy. Why does he do that? The 41 seconds. Why do you give the Bears 26 seconds left? Yeah. That, that was unnecessary. So that's Ben. That's always been Ben. But uh, on the good, you know, there was a lot, so much good to outweigh that kind of stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I, Tom can, but he needs a quarterback. Yeah. Well, Jim, always great. Talking Steelers football, we uh, got another win here. It's a victory Wednesday. Uh, again, everybody, we are recording this at 5 a.m. Um, there's no rest for the wicked here. We are up bright and early, and we are super grateful that you join us weekly. We'll be back on our normal normal schedule next week, recording uh, Tuesday uh, at 5 a.m. We're going to try to post between 6 and 6.15 a.m. Please check out Jim's work on the Still City Insider, and you could follow Jim on Twitter at Jim Wexel. You could check out my work on Still Study, thestillstudy.com, and also give me a follow at Still Study. And here's to hopefully, again, Jim cautioned me not to get too uh, far ahead of myself here with this Lions game, but hopefully the Steelers go in and compete, move the six and three, and we have another one to cover for you next week. But we hope everybody has a great week, and Jim, have a good one, man. Did, did I give you my Bobcat finale? Oh, we did. no, no. Yeah, well, Sammy made first team all Mac. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So I'm very excited about that. And then, of course, the next day they go out and they lose in the semifinals of the Mac playoffs. Uh, three to two. It was uh, most goals she gave up all season, but one was on a PK in the final few minutes. They called a, you're not supposed to call that, make that call, right? So I have my own officiating problems coming into the Steelers <laughs> game. I, I feel like a Bears fan after that last game. So uh, they were eliminated, but she was first team all conference and they're set for another uh, good year next year. I'm so proud of her. Thank you for asking. Well, you didn't ask, but thank you for giving me this platform to talk a little Bobcat soccer. Well, awesome. And congrats to Sammy and congrats to the Bobcats and uh, special season for them. And hopefully that rubs off and the Steelers have a special season here. But uh, Jim, we will see you back here uh, Tuesday. All right, Jeremy, take care. All right, see you everyone.